Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer Podcast host, Ryan Pelton, and really glad that you're here. Really glad that you came to join us today. However, you found us on the treadmill, in the train, in the car, in the evening, in the morning, in the afternoon. Good to have you. And this is the podcast dedicated to learning how to write fast, write often, and write well. And I'm really excited today because we have our very first live human Homo sapien interview with an author who is one of the most prolific authors that I know of in the modern day. Uh, and, uh, you might've heard of him. His name is Jake Bible and he's a fiction writer. Um, he writes for severed press and some other, um, book companies, publishers. And, uh, we'll talk about that on the show, but Jake has blown me away. I found Jake a few months back, started to read his books. He has a great series called Zburbia. Um, it's a zombie story uh, line series set in the suburbs of North Carolina. It's a great read. Check it out. And I'll put that in the show notes too. But I heard him on a podcast a few months back and I was blown away because he told me, or I should say, he said on the interview, they had written 40, 41 books and he writes a book a month. And these are 75,000 word full length novels. These aren't short stories. And I had to have him on because I needed to hear about his story and, um, 
hear more about how he is so prolific and his process and uh, how he got started. And he has a great uh, podcast too called Writing in Suburbia. I highly recommend that as well. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, so this is a Jake Bible that we get to listen to today. And uh, you're going to learn a ton of things. It's jam-packed with all kinds of great information. Uh, Jake is a great guy. Um, he's a family man, has a couple kids, and uh, but really gives kind of an honest look at the writing world and the writing life, that it's not all glamour and glitz, but that how he writes fast and writes often. And, and part of that is because he has a very uh, good worth, work ethic and wants to provide for his family. And so he sees it as a business. It's not just art. Um, and, and he talks about that too, of, of just this idea of being an artisan and, um, and he has other interests. And, and I think that's just really important because I think, um, th there's a work ethic, there's a discipline. I mean, we get upset that, you know, people aren't reading our things or, um, but, but there is a, 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 the idea of actually getting paid for what you write. And there's an idea of working hard and being disciplined and finding the time to do it. And so we talk about a lot of those things. So you're really going to enjoy that uh, today. And, uh, we'll get to that in just a second. And just a couple things, um, wanted to let you know a couple things coming out, um, as far as rock house publishing goes, uh, check out the audio book for antique assassin, uh, two, uh, that will be out, uh, should be ready in a couple weeks. Um, so keep eyes open for that ebook and print are already available. Check it on out. Um, people that have read it have enjoyed it. Um, also antique assassin one as well. You can check that out. I also have a new book coming out that, uh, was coming out, um, uh, under Ryan Bennett, that is, uh, I guess it was a NaNoWriMo project called the boardwalk. And that's in the editing process. I think you'll enjoy that story. Uh, it's kind of an up coming of age story set in the seventies at a theme park. And there's some mystery and some ghosts and some other things going on there. And it, it's a, it's a great story. Uh, so the boardwalk will be coming out, um, hopefully in ebook and then followed by print followed by audio. Uh, hopefully by you're listening to this December 30, hopefully by middle of January, maybe, uh, end of January, depends how fast the production goes. Uh, but you can check that out as well. Um, some other books and other stories in the works, uh, that I will get you updated, uh, soon, but check out rockhousepublishing.com. You can see all the titles there and, um, starting to get more, writing tips as well. If you are a writer listening to this podcast, getting more articles up there, resources up there, and it'll, it'll be growing over time. And, uh, there'll be some courses and some other free stuff you can check out as well to help you in your writing career and your writing journey. And, uh, and if you've been enjoying this podcast, we've, we've really been pleased by the response thus far, uh, for the prolific writing podcast. So go to iTunes, leave a review and just say, Hey, how awesome this is, how it changed your life. Um, how it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. Those kinds of things. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're on stitcher as well. Stitcher.com. If you're not an iTunes person or an Apple person, so you can leave a review there as well and uh, keep on listening. So, Hey, I really hope you enjoy this interview with the infamous Jake Bible and you can find Jake Bible at jakebible.com, And I'll put that in the show notes too. So enjoy the interview and keep on writing. So thanks for coming on, Jake, and uh, yeah, excited to, to have you on. And, um, and you know, this podcast is called The Prolific Writer, 
and I would say that you're you're highly prolific. Uh, now you have 41 books. Is that last count? Do you even know? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've I've lost count at 40. I have 40 published novels. I know that. Um, I, I'm trying. I just finished another novel last week, and I'm not sure if that's. 41 or if that's 42 that I've written I think it's 42 I've written because I have one coming out at the end of February by a, a new publisher I'm working with so okay. I don't know I, I would ha actually have to go down a list and, and start counting again. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of books I, I think you actually finished a novel even as we were talking before the podcast I think in three minutes you had one done yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, well, you know, that's that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on. I've been been following your podcast, uh, Writing in Suburbia. Great podcast, by the way. Check it out. Um, I've noticed you. I've noticed you haven't put, you haven't put one up in a while, so I'm waiting for that one. But um, uh, probably writing, you know, nine more books. But um, but yeah, I just really appreciate what you you've had to say uh, about the craft and writing. You know, we talk about writing fast, writing often, writing well, and. Um, you know, you, you define, I've heard you say this in podcasts and, and other places, you know, you, you call yourself a modern pulp writer. Um, so yeah. w w what does that, what does that mean to you just to kind of kick things off? Well, I mean, there's, you know, way back in thirties, forties, fifties, there was the, the pulp writers, you know, golden age. Um, a lot of writers and a lot of big name writers actually had pseudonyms and they would just crank out crime and sci-fi and suspense, you know, novels as fast as they could to get a paycheck because, um, you know, just despite the legend that, and the myth that is out there, uh, being a writer does not pay all that well oh, right. <laughs> unless you hit um, mega bestseller status. Um, there's, I mean, even New York Times bestsellers who still have day jobs. I mean, you, there's a lot of things that have to come into play for you to become a full-time writer. And um, my thing is, is I write about a novel a month. Um, they're about 75,000 words. And I write in genres that sell, sci-fi, horror, thriller. Um, you know, I, I would say I write to the market. Um, which is definitely a component of being a pulp writer. Um, you know, it's not just the muse that is grabbing you. It's also, you know, <laughs> what readers are buying and reading. Um, that makes a huge difference. And uh, lucky for me, I have tons of interests. And I constantly, I have more ideas than I will ever write in my lifetime. Um, my iPhone, you know, notes list is filled <laughs> with ideas that... Um, you know, I, I just will never get to. Um, so I don't, I don't struggle with, oh, I'm just cranking out a novel. This is, oh, this is killing me. Oh, my soul. Um, I have fun doing it. And so having fun and then, you know, having the time I write full time, I'm able to just dig in, crank out a military sci-fi novel or a horror novel or a zombie novel, whatever. Um, send it off to a publisher, get my advance and start on the next one. And, um, that's basically the pulp fiction ethos. That's, that's how you do it. <laughs> now, uh, before we, before we, we'll get into some of the kind of craft nuts and bolts, actually how you do yeah. it and things like that. But, um, you know, when you, when you think about, you know, writing to market or what genre to write in, how does that work as far as I know you, you're with severed press, a small press, um, mm -hmm. are, are they telling you what you should write? Are you kind of giving them ideas? Is it kind of a back and forth? I mean, how do you, how do you really determine kind of what, what that looks like? Um, it's, it's a back and forth. Uh, definitely. Um, there, you know, I've had ideas 
um, and sent them to them. And some of them, they're like, yeah, great ideas. Other ones, they're like, ooh, that that one is not selling right now. Let's hold off on that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started with Severed Press uh, way back in, what was that, 2012, um, I already had a series, the Apex Trilogy, uh, self-published. Uh, they'd been with a small publisher, but that publisher went under. I got the rights back, self-published them. I realized I didn't want to be a self-publisher. Um, <laughs> I, w- I wanted a publisher's help in marketing. Um, I pitched that series to them. They took it. That was great. A year later, uh, I ended up losing my full-time job. The company that I worked for went under. And um, I immediately emailed Severed and was like, so what are you guys looking for? Because <laughs> I need to do something and fast. And mm-hmm. one of the things they said is we're looking for classic zombie apocalypse like, you know, George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. no bells, no whistles, just shambling zombie type um, mm-hmm. novels right now. I'm like, you know, let me think on that. I don't know. But then an idea came into my head of, you know, I mean, classic Romero style, that, that kind of story is always going to be a, you know, um, you know, comment on, uh, American society and, um, you know, culture and, you know, with Dawn of the Dead, he did commercialism. And I'm like, I live in a subdivision. I live in an American subdivision. I could totally roast the culture that's in this subdivision. So that's how I ended up writing Zburbia. Um, So it was totally a prompt from them. You know, they're saying, this is what the market wants right now. This is what we want to put into the market. Mm -hmm. But then it was also my mind playing with it a little bit Mm -hmm. and thinking, what could I come up with? And once it clicked, boom, I was, you know, off. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's seven books in the series now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. um, It's it's really been that back and forth. Yeah, the Z Burbacy is great. Uh, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting about the series is, you know, you write zombies, but you, you kind of mock suburban life, um, oh, yeah. you know, subtly. I mean, it's funny, you know, you talk about HOAs and <laughs> all the, the crazy, you know, presidents of HOAs and the control and all, which is very true if you've ever lived in a suburb. And, uh, and yet you still carry that in as the world is ending. Um, and also one of the things you know, I was just curious too is you bring a lot of kind of your own, I can tell your own kind of personality, snarky, sarcastic, you know, funny characters. Um, when you started writing those books, um, and and it sounds like, I mean, some of your, I've seen some of your other, uh, books as well as, uh, is that just part of you? Is that something that, that your, your publishers like, you know, we need to have just fun characters or is that just kind of, how does that work out in your mind as far as, um, because they're fun reads. I mean, they, they, you really love the characters because they're hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's me. Um, you know, it's definitely, there's, uh, content, any content is all me. Um, the only thing I take from, you know, Severed or any of my other, my other publishers I've worked with, um, is, you know, general concept genre, that kind of thing. But other than that, everything else is, is me. Um, I tend to be, (laughs) a snarky sarcastic person so <laughs> you will find at least one of those personalities in uh-huh. in some of my books so that's uh-huh. that's gonna happen um yeah so yeah all content just just comes from me and that's just kind of my style that's my voice that's uh-huh. that's how i write um i think you know i like to have as much fun as possible i've had some serious series and you know not so serious series and um but you know, o- overall, I definitely try and put a lot of humor, as much humor as I can get away with, depending on the story and the genre, um, into everything. Because 
I think, you know, it's, it's always even my, my own personal tastes. Like, I mean, you look at the movie aliens and you know, the best, some of the best characters in there are just mm-hmm. wise cracking, you know, smart ass mm-hmm. Marines. Right. And that's what part of what ratchets, you know, ratchets up the tension is you end up loving those characters. And so to watch them die, it hurts twice as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, 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 you know, there's some design <laughs> in mm-hmm. the snark too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, and there's, there's something I think deep, you know, there's almost like this deeper reality too. like, you know, the walking dead, they're starting to bring some characters are actually pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and they've, you know, smattered them in here and there, but but it's like, you know, the world is ending. I mean, you you, you almost have to laugh and find some kind, yeah. of, kind of joy in the midst of terror and, you know, darkness. And um, and I think that's what, what when you read your Zeburbia series, it doesn't it, – it's not just dark. It's not just – you know, it, it's like people, that everyday normal people like you and I trying to make sense of life. But, you know, obviously there's zombies, you know, that they have to kill and things. Um but their personalities are still there. You know, they're, they're yeah. still kind of who they are. And um, I think when, when books are so dark, it's, it's hard. I mean, you know, I also don't want to walk away just feeling, man, I just feel depressed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It, it's nice to laugh once in a while. <laughs> oh, no, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, when I read Cormac McCarthy's The Road, I mean, mm-hmm. I honestly thought it, you know, it's a brilliant piece of literature. Sure. But I haven't read it again. No. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going down that road again. Right. That that is dark and bleak and some depressing stuff, and mm-hmm. it is you know stuck with me, but in a haunting way. You know, it's that's that's not how I'm going to spend my you know few hours that I have for entertainment. Um, I'll move on to something else that may be just as dark and bleak as haunting, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to re- revisit that story because <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is, uh, what's been feedback on like, like a Zeburbia series as far as, you know, characters, you know, a little more on the fun side. Cause you know, I've, I've read some, some zombie stuff that I just, because it's so dark, it's just, it's not interesting to me. Um, that, that has been, uh, the feedback. Um, you know, the people who, you know, my biggest fans love it for the characters mm-hmm. and love it because these are people um, just handling everything, you know, I think the way they, they themselves feel they could handle stuff. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, they see themselves in some of these characters. Um, they, they aren't just the gruff, tough heroes and blow everything up and destroy it all. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of flawed people just stumbling through the apocalypse and, you know, Half the time they're surviving on luck, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is kind of how life is, really. Sure. We're, we're, we're all lucky to, you know, drive on a highway and get home in one piece, really. Right. So, you know, that's that's just kind of how I applied it. So a lot of the feedback has been they, they love the series because of the lightness and the fun uh, mm-hmm. moments that are in there. You know, I definitely ratchet up the action and the mm-hmm. blood and the guts oh, and, sure. the, and the horror when you have to, because otherwise then no one would take it seriously at all. Sure. Um, so there's that balance. But um, I think, yeah, it, the feedback I've gotten is the reason people come back to it is because they enjoy the characters and they want to read more of their lives and see what goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's a, it's a great series. I, um, so when you, when you're, um, you know, writing a a series like Zburbia, talk a little bit, I know you have quite a few series that have multiple books in them. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what, what says, tells you, cause you, you've been very candid on your podcast about, Hey, here's a idea I had, here's a book I had and it didn't really go. Uh, so I, so I kind of pivoted and I'm doing something else. Um, 
what was a Zburbia just the people obviously enjoyed it. We're buying it. You know, let's write more of it. Or is it, did you kind of have a big story arc in mind? Did you have the, was it seven books? I don't remember. Um, uh, it's, it's seven books. The main story arc is the first six books. Okay. Uh, the I mean, seventh you... one, yeah, kind of starts with a new character as the narrator. Well, not a new character. One of the char- other characters as a new narrator. Okay. Um, and that was yeah, the the um, the new characters the the girl right uh, what's her name right um, Elspeth Elspeth yeah. yeah I like her she's funny um, did did you have that kind of plotted out in your head or you know loose ideas or was it kind of like I just had one and then just see where it went or how'd that go for you um, it started off as one and um, I kind of you know I left it slightly open ended um, mm-hmm. I knew I could write a second one. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, sales warranted, you know, me writing a second one and they did, which was woohoo, <laughs> lucky me. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, when, when the first one, you know, started just selling like crazy, I mean, and I say that in a <laughs> small press, you know, ebook context, <laughs> not, sure. not New York times, big sales, you know, across the country thing, but you know, enough success that it's like, wow, this this could be viable as a living. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when, you know, Severed was like, hey, you got a second one? Can you do a second one? I'm like, yeah, I've probably got it at, at least six in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're like, ooh, cool, great, go for it. And so, you know, I just I just kept writing them and they kept selling. Mm-hmm. So, it's a good, I mean, good, good problem to have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll write more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's segue into that. Just kind of playing on that uh, or on that topic is okay. So you're writing. You're writing a book. Um, are you doing heavy outlines? I mean, obviously you're writing. You know, a book a month. So let's begin just kind of talking through your process a little bit. Um, you know, you got <laughs> chapter by chapter, loose ideas. Like, where, where, how does it look for, like for you? I, I am all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I host a, a, a co-host a, a monthly writer's coffee house at, at our local bookstore here. And <laughs> I'm always telling everyone, if you're looking for, you know, concrete ideas on process, I am not the model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, it really depends on the book. It depends on the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, this latest book I wrote, um, Outpost Hell, which is just space marines trapped in, you know, <laughs> a nightmarish abandoned outpost mm-hmm. just trying to survive. I honestly didn't write a single note or anything until I was on the last chapter. Hmm. Um, and at that point, I'm like, OK, I need some structure so I can I can close this up, you know, get it finished or I'm just going to start rambling um, past the time I need to, <laughs> you know, this is, I need, I need to end this novel and now I can tie it all up. And that's when I started writing stuff down. Um, some novels I have completely, uh, done, you know, fair, I don't want to say detailed. I don't put too much detail into outlines when I do outlines. Cause if you put too much detail in there, then you're just taking time away from actually writing the book. Yeah. Um, but my mega series, I have tended to um, do a rough outline for each of those books um, just because they are thrillers, um, really, uh, more than, you know, they're about, you know, ex-Navy SEALs and giant genetic sharks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really follow an action-adventure uh, thriller kind of structure. And um, being able to hit those beats and keep that rhythm going keeps the energy of the book right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want it to bog down at any point. Um, so with those, I, I tended to outline. 
Um, some of the Zberbias I outlined, some of them completely winged it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say which one was it? Zberbia five, yes, five. Um, <laughs> that was like literally stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one, I just sat down and wrote that puppy out. I don't think I have an, even a page on a legal pad, you know, anywhere that has a note about that one. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I just went for it. Um, and it feels like that. That was kind of the narrative, was definitely a, a stream of consciousness. You know, it's first person. Mm-hmm. So the, the narrator, the main character, Jace, was, um, it worked because the premise was sort of him losing his mind in a way. Um, so that, that, that stream of consciousness style totally worked for that book. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones, it can be a half and half. I can start off just going for it and then just come to a halt and have no idea what I'm doing. So then I outline the rest of the book from there. Um, sometimes I start with a small outline for the first couple chapters and then it's just, you know, the, the, the narrative perpetuates itself and I don't really need much after that. Mm -hmm. Um, I write in so many different genres that, you know, it, <laughs> it, it really just kind of depends on where my head's at and what I need to do to get myself into a space to be able to complete the novel in the time frame that I have. Uh-huh. Um, and that's usually what it comes down to. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if I feel I need the outline to stay uh-huh. on track, then I do it. Um, if the words are flowing, then I don't get in the way. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much, you know, my process there. Does uh does your uh, publisher do they ever need an outline ahead of time or they, nope. you just no go? okay uh, no they don't and even when I signed on with my with with a new publisher I'm still working with Severed Press but I signed on with Bellbridge Books also mm-hmm. um, they they didn't need an outline they just they just want to pitch you know a basic okay. description of of what I'm gonna do um, and go from there um, and that's that's usually how it works. Um, I think most publishers are savvy enough to know that um, asking for a detailed outline from, uh, you know, from a writer is kind of a pointless exercise because the book they're going to get really isn't going to be that outline. (laughs) Most writers, no matter how disciplined they are, end up deviating from that outline anyway. So um, it really just is is kind of a a waste of time in everybody's (laughs) book there. So, yeah. So I, I was talking earlier today with another author, and uh, it was interesting because you were you were ta- saying, you know, I don't really have concrete advice, and he kind of said something similar. He said, you know, you can, here's what I do, but you know, it doesn't mean anything really, because um, you meet five authors and they do five different things, um, right? <laughs> but one of, one of the the conversations we had, which was kind of interesting, was we were kind of talking about he writes kind of horror and sci-fi and some other mm-hmm. urban fantasy and stuff. And I was just asking the question, you know, when you're, whether you you have a detailed outline or not, or just ideas is, do you, do you feel like based on the series you're in or the genre you're in, that there's certain kind of tropes that you want to hit as you're kind of telling the story? I mean, um, I, you know, I just heard Stephen Pressfield, he wrote a book called The Knowledge. I don't know if you heard about that. It just came out. Um, mm. and, and it's kind of a, um, uh, crime thriller and he he was talking about how he he really wanted to have a, a fight scene where he got beat up he was he's actually the main character in the book uh fictional character but um but he said you know this this genre you got to have someone that gets beat up at least once you know and he just made sure that right. was, was in there um do you think about those things as you're kind of writing or is that just like oh this could be cool or does it really matter or um a little bit here and there 
yeah, to, to a certain extent, like if I'm writing military sci-fi, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, in space Marines, there's, there's gotta be certain kind of things that you, you hit with that because that's what the readers are looking for. Um, I don't do it a ton. In fact, I probably get myself into more trouble by ignoring or outright dismissing tropes mm -hmm. <laughs> that I should mm -hmm. probably include. Uh, just because I tend to be a contrarian at times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you tell me to do something, I'm going to probably do the opposite just because. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I do think about them, and it, it really, if, if it's going to fit my story, uh, I'll put it in there. You know? if, if it's going to make readers happy, then you know, that's my job, mm -hmm. uh, first off, is to entertain and make readers happy. Um, but there's certain things like zombie apocalypse stuff, um, it really depends. There's sub sub genres of the zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. There's totally the military, you know, take on it, or there's the, you know, my, you know, my general, just, you know, everyday man take on it kind of stuff. Um, so it, it really depends on where you're approaching it. I think with, with Zburbia, I could get away with anything because, um, I pretty much kind of showed in the first couple books that, yeah, your usual rules aren't going to apply so much. This is going to get crazy nuts. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it, that opened it up. But I, I, I found, you know, I've, as I've been writing a lot of science fiction, um, and I try not to read the reviews, and I t usually don't, but, you know, sometimes they can give you a little insight in how things, um, you know, are with readers. They Sci-fi readers tend to be a little more conservative Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean that necessarily politically or even culturally. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's conservative in how they read. Mm -hmm. um, if you take things too outside the box with them, they freak out. Mm -hmm. They're like, nope, nope, <laughs> mm -hmm. didn't like that. That's not how it's supposed to go. Nope, rules, rules. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I've done that a couple times. And some of the reviews I read are like, wow, I really pissed this guy off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it did not go the way he thought it was going to go. So I have to be mindful sometimes of those kinds of things that, you know, if I'm going to take a detour, it better be a really good detour and it better actually, you know, improve the story. Um, because otherwise, I'm, you know, because I'm, I'm going to get lambasted no matter what. But um, if this detour doesn't matter, then I'm just going to get destroyed for, you know, doing something that was just flat out stupid. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, it's, it's more of instead of using tropes, it's more of I have to be conscious if I ignore them, I better have a good reason for it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, were you, were you the one talking about how uh, some of the cursing in, in a couple of your books oh, as yeah. far as sci-fi, as if, you know, there's no more cursing in space or, you know, in the future that just goes uh, away or something. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe how um, readers freak out. There are so many um, negative reviews on some of my books because of the cursing that's in there. And I mean, I have a book that is literally set <laughs> on a military training space station. Mm -hmm. So it's nothing but boot camp, 24 hours right, a day, basically. Right. And so there's going to be some salty mouths there. Right, That's how right. it's going to be. And people freaked out. 
they're like, that's, that's not how people talk. Right. And it's, it's like, um, well, no, in general, that's not, um, in this context. Sure. Yeah. It kind of has, I, I know a few people in the military and a few, right. if you tried to convince them that the military culture is a sanitized, you know, very, you know, polite mouthed culture, they would laugh and they do. And, um, when I tried that with Salvage Merc 1 by using, you know, kind of euphemisms, uh, uh-huh. sort of like, you know, the Battlestar, latest Battlestar Galactica series did using uh-huh. frack, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> instead of the F word. Right. And, um, you know, I, I just kind of did that. I ended up getting negative reviews from folks in the military because I wasn't actually using real curse words. Right. So can't win. It, it's a no-win situation. <laughs> right. That's all there is to it. It's like those those movies and TV shows they used to have on TV where they you know bleep out. They put like a different word instead of the curse oh, yeah. word. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like oh, I wonder what he was saying there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I it, it's such a fascinating conversation with the whole you know what you can never win. It's, you know, sci-fi, it's not technical enough. It's too outside the box. It's, you know, um, yeah. it's probably wise to kind of avoid some of the reviews just for your own sanity. But yeah, I just, you know, I right. just stop reading because yeah, right. you'll go crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you're, you know, obviously you're telling good stories so that, you know, they're overlooking some of those things. If they're the pure sci-fi or the pure zombie person or the, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're still entertaining people. They're still enjoying, you know, the, the work. And, um, and I think in the end, that's probably what all that matters, you know? Right. Exactly. Because I think there's, you know, it's funny with books. Like I'm not, I, I read cross genre. I'm mean, read everything. And when you yeah. meet people that all they read is zombie books, I mean, one, you're kind of like, you know, what's wrong with you? I mean, there's a, I mean, <laughs> exactly. nothing against zombie reader, but you know, no. it's like there's, there is other stuff. Out. I mean, if, if that's all I read, I just don't, I couldn't even fathom that. I mean, I couldn't even fathom just reading yeah. people that read just romance. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, they're crazy. They, they read nine a week, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's the same story over and over and over, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've been a voracious reader since I was, you know, little. Um, and I get bored. You know, if I just read one genre over and over, you know, there'll there'll be points where I'll read three, four, maybe five books um, in a genre in a row just because I'm I'm, I'm jazzed by it. That's Mm -hmm. my mindset. But then after a while, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I got I got to move on to something else. Um, I would go crazy if I only just read, you know, romance or just read zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Um, The closest I've come is over the summer. I binged read all of Richard Stark's um, Parker novels, which Mm -hmm. are all crime. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just because they're awesome. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) And they read fast. And Mm -hmm. um, I was just engrossed. I'm like, I want more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I read I think there's what 12 of those or something like that. 12 Mm -hmm. or 13. Um, so I just read them all over the summer and they're fast reads. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once I was done with that, I, I didn't like move on to another crime writer. I was like, okay, I've had my fill of crime. And so, you know, I moved on to nonfiction mm-hmm. <laughs> and was yeah. reading some of that. So yeah, I couldn't imagine just being stuck in one genre. Sure. And obviously that comes out in your, your writing I mean, you're writing a lot of different stories and different genres is um how, how do you find your fans i mean are they able to kind of make the leap with different series or do you just kind of have the the hardcore i only read this i only read that or they know you're kind of all over and how's that how's that been for you um it's 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 been good actually um i probably wouldn't be able to make a living um writing if um my fans didn't cross over from genres 
Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely got my biggest fan base with the Zeburbia novels. Um, and then, you know, as people were waiting for another Zeburbia to come out, they're like, oh, he's got these other books. Let's try these. Um, and so folks started reading some of the other stuff. And I, and I do get that. I'll get emails and I'll get messages here and there that are saying, you know, I just finished your blah, blah, blah series. Um, I don't usually read this other genre, but I see you're writing a series in that. So now I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm lucky enough that I'm grabbing, you know, my readers in one series and doing, doing my job, entertaining them, you know, well enough that they are then hopping over into other genres. They may not necessarily read, but, um, you know, they're reading it, they're reading it because it's my style, it's my voice, it's, it's my work. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the classic thing. There's, you know, the great, great, you know, writer Joe R. Lansdale. And everyone's like, well, is he crime? Is he horror? Is mm-hmm. he splatterpunk? Is he mystery? What, right. what is he? And everyone's like, he's Joe R. Lansdale. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's his genre. Right. So eventually I want to get to that point where, yeah. you, know, you know, someone says my name and no one goes, oh, he just writes blank books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like, oh, I love his books. Or have you tried this series? Or, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get to that point <laughs> in mm-hmm. my career where, um, you know, it's my name that matters, not the mm-hmm. genre. Yeah, and I think, you know, we live in this different day, too. I think this, you know, just look at Netflix and binging. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, people are into so many different things. I mean, it, people, every day that someone's like, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, no, I've never even heard of that, you know. <laughs> and, I mean, there's just so many different, you know, it's not just one thing. You know, we used to have three channels on TV, you know. it's Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot out there. And if it's a good story, it's a good story. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's go back a little bit. Um, some of your... Um, I guess you don't have to go to year one, you know, when you were your formative years, but obviously you, you've taken in a lot of stories. You, you, you've been writing a long time. Let's talk a little bit about just kind of how you all, how you began. And, um, and then how did you kind of know, you know, this kind of way of writing that you could pull it off? I mean, obviously writing quickly and fast and often, but writing good stories. I mean, you're not writing junk. You're not just throwing stuff on the wall um, is, you know, talk a little bit about that, just kind of your influences of storytelling and then kind of how you knew, like, hey, I could, I think I can actually do this. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've been a voracious reader. Uh, that That is the key. Um, I have been reading, I mean, all kinds way above age level since I was very little. Um, you know, the first, the first stories that really, truly grabbed me, um, I would say, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, when I was probably like eight or nine, um, I didn't comprehend and understand everything Mm -hmm. that that were in those stories, but there was just something there that was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and then there was also Susan Cooper's dark is rising series. Um, I can remember reading that, you know, like in fifth grade or something and just be like, wow, this is, this is really neat. Um, and that, that, that kind of, you know, the storytelling has always stayed with me. I've always been a voracious reader. I watched you know, tons of TV, you know, more so than probably people would think is healthy, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, immersed myself in movies. I was in community theater for, you know, 10 years as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Storytelling has always just been a part of me. And so, you know, in high school and a little bit afterwards, I I, I was doing a lot of, you know, fiction writing, Um, but I kind of fell out of it just because the world moved a lot slower than I did. Um, that was back in the time when you had to physically mail stories off. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Um, you had to physically mail manuscripts off. And um, I'm just not a patient person. Mm. <laughs> so I kind of quit it. And then the world, the Internet caught up to me. <laughs> and eventually, after you know having my wife, I had you know and kids and working a full time job, I started getting back into writing and I started emailing small, you know, short story markets and just, you know, started getting back into it and realized I, it's where my brain has always been. You know, why I would space off and mo watching a movie is because all of a sudden my mind would take that idea and go a different direction. And then half the movie would be gone. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I just totally spaced off in that. What happened? Um, and it was, you know, I just started off writing short stories. And then then I, I ended up deciding I'm going to write a novel. And I podcast that novel for free um, through iTunes. And that really gave me the bug. And part of it was I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. I podcast as I was writing it. Um, so literally I would, you know, the day before I'm going to record an episode, I just finished that episode's content. Um, <laughs> that was like a huge no-no, not supposed to do that. But that kind of deadline, um, that kind of time crunch, it, it's, it really kind of drives me on. Um, so it worked that, that worked for me. And, um, you know, so I was writing for a couple of years, uh, wrote a few novels, got an agent, uh, didn't end up selling any of those novels I wrote <laughs> when I was with that agent. And then, you know, like I said, um, I, I ended up losing my full-time job and, um, I was like, wow. So I, I only have a couple <laughs> A, a, a couple expertise. One, I can cook. Um, so I had been in food service for a while. I could go back into that. But then I would never see my family again. Um, it's a brutal business. Um, or I had been a sales rep, uh, which means life on the road, which means never see, seeing my family again. It's a brutal lifestyle. And I was like, well, what if I try writing for a living? Um, I had, for the past couple of years, you know, before that, um, been writing under a pseudonym, I, pseudonym, pseudonym, pseudonym. Um, I've been writing a lot of erotica um, because the Kindle came out and that was a huge market. And uh, until Amazon put the brakes on that genre, basically said, well, we've we've built the Kindle up to a good, you know, good status and we don't want any of you anymore. <laughs> they chopped that off and literally that income you know, ended overnight. But I had learned to write fast. Um, I had in that time writing erotica, you know, I was writing, you know, 3000 um, word, you know, short story a day, um, just cranking those things out. You know, it was horrible, awful, just, just, mm -hmm. it was not good writing, but it flexed that, you know, prolific muscle. It, mm -hmm. it taught me how to structure. It taught me how mm -hmm. to you know, get the right amount of dialogue in the scene, um, action, all this kind of stuff. And it, from there, all I had to do was kind of switch out my mindset and go, okay, um, instead of sexy time, now it's blow up buildings and, you know, kill monsters time. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's that kind of stuff. so I took that discipline and moved it into writing novels. And um, that's, I mean, it, it really is an exercise. It's like anything else. It's like, you know, learning to, you know, play a sport or, you know, become a painter or anything. It's practice. Uh -huh. And um, I put the time in. And <laughs> when the leap of faith happened, um, I luckily had that time behind me. And so I'm like, yeah, I think I can do this. And um, 
And then, of course, timing and luck hit one more time and Zburbia took off. Uh -huh. um, we wouldn't be talking right now if Zburbia had bombed because uh -huh. <laughs> so, I would have had to get a, a full-time job. I would not have been able to keep going. Okay. So, so, Zber <laughs> so you, were, you were launching Zburbia as you were losing your job? Is that how the timeline? I, I had lost my job. Okay. Um, I had no form of income coming in other than some residual royalties coming in from um, Amazon okay. uh, for some of the you know old erotica stuff that I'd written um, and you know Barnes and Noble the ebooks um, but other than that I mean I had I had no income on the horizon and um, it literally was one of those things where my wife and I are sitting on the couch and she's just like do you think you can make a living writing and I was like yes because I don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Which is, it's that, and unfortunately, I wish it wasn't that way. That's when I tend to thrive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no looking back, no other choice. It's forward or it's die. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, and I got lucky. Like I said, Zburbia hit. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that afforded me the opportunities to keep writing more novels. Was there, was there a moment where you said, you know, maybe it was on the couch with your wife when you had no choice. But was there a moment where you you, you really thought, though, like, I, I think I can do this and I can do it well? I mean, was it writing erotica? Was it in high school? Was it I mean, where you just said, even if I don't get paid for it, you know, this is something I, I just I'm a storyteller. And that's what I want to do. Was there like a moment where you that you had that kind of epiphany or um, it was it was definitely before I lost my job. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of towards the point where Amazon, you know, chopped off the income and, and, you know, squashed the whole erotica genre for the Kindle that, you know, I was just looking at it going, you know, I could apply what I've learned from this to writing full time. I think I could do it if I had the time, especially in this day and age of eBooks. Uh -huh. um, if I had the time and I had, <laughs> and I, and I had a publisher, I could find a publisher. These were the two things I was thinking uh -huh. I could crank out you know, short novels. I could, mm -hmm. I could do what the old pulp writers used to do. Mm -hmm. I, I actually thought that. Um, so I don't know if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, but when, when, you know, the job was gone, the full-time job was gone. I, I was mentally already prepared to just be like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. This is just going to happen. That's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I had thought about it. I definitely put some, some thought into it. And I'm also, I'm not an artist with a capital A. I'm more of an artisan um, where if, if business isn't involved, if I'm not going to make money at it, I got all kinds of interests. I can do other things. I mean, I'll always be a storyteller. I can always do you know that. But I could volunteer you know, with community theater and do technical direction. I could get involved that way. I could do all kinds of stuff. Um, but for me to really dive into it, uh, as, as cheesy as it sounds, there's got to be a financial component to it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, I need that carrot. Um, sure. be, being a writer is a big enough stick. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, it's hard. It uh -huh. really is hard work. Uh -huh. um, there has to be something at the end of there. There has to be a reward. And for me, it's, you know, I, it's, it's, it's now my full-time living. Um, you know, I don't make a ton of money, not even close, but, um, I make more than I was making at my full-time job before. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. there we go. You know, that, that is a big motivator. Uh -huh. 
Sure. Yeah. I, you know, if people go listen to your writing in suburbia podcast, you talk a lot about that. Yeah. Like this is my job. Like I don't, I don't do things just for fun. Like, I mean, it's fun, but I, I do right. it because I'm providing for my family. And so I can't just mess around and, you know, yeah, um, exactly. And, and yeah, you always joke about, you know, the Stephen King money. Yeah. Hey, if that comes and I can take a year to write a book, I'll do it. But right now I can't. So, you know, <laughs> right, exactly. got to write the next and, one. And the, and the reality is, because of who I am, someone could give me huge amounts of money and say, you have a year to write this novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the 11th month, I would be scrambling to get it done <laughs> because right. I would just have been goofing off mm-hmm. <laughs> for, you know, mm-hmm. the previous year. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to thrive, like I said, thrive at those deadlines, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the gun against my head kind of thing. Um, you know, got to get it done. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm just going to get lost in the fun mm-hmm. of life and probably just sit on the couch and <laughs> stream Netflix. Right. Be like, right. it's research. It's <laughs> yeah, research. research. I'm a storyteller. Come right. On. <laughs> right. I love it. So, so let's, um, let's talk a little, uh, a bit. I know we've talked a little bit about your process that you don't have one, but, um, let's, uh, so, so you lose the job, you start writing yep. Zeburbia and obviously you're, you're in it to win it. This is my job. I don't, I'm not looking back. I got a publisher, you know, I'm going to crank out these novels. So you write, you know, 75,000, 80,000 words per book, uh, yep. one a month. Yep. That's uh, very fast, obviously. Um, so let's just talk about just, you know, principally kind of the, um, you know, how do you do that to actually create a good draft that's, you know, can go off to editors and is readable and that kind of thing. I mean, are you a guy who's just blazing through it and then rewriting it, um, drafting, editing as you go kind of, how, how does that process work to knowing yourself enough now that, okay, I have about a month to get this done. Um, what, what does that look like for you? Um, well, first off I look at it and you know, the, the practical structure, uh, to get 75,000 word novel done in a month is, and I, I don't work on weekends, um, unless there's some crazy deadline or I absolutely have to, uh, weekends are family time. And I don't work in the evenings either because my brain's usually dead. Plus it's family time The you know, the whole, the family's here. Um, and you know, there's, I'm not going to write while I have that distraction. I'm also not going to take time away from them. That's uh-huh. just not who I am. Um, so I structure it out. You know, I need to average 5,000 words a day, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. You do that three weeks in a row and you have a 75,000 word novel mm-hmm. and that leaves a week for editing. Okay. Um, I am a puzzle person. I'm a loophole kind of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I love contracts. Absolutely love them. Uh, in fact, I, I, at one point was looking to go into be a paralegal and, uh, work, you know, just on contracts. If you put one, it could be you know, 300 pages, you put one in front of me, I'm going to find the loophole. I'm going to find the mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, My brain works that way when I'm crafting a novel, even if I don't have an outline. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll just subconsciously be like, hey, this puzzle piece fits here. Mm -hmm. This piece fits here. And if I can't figure out where the pieces fit, I'll walk away. Maybe I only got 1,200 words done that day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't try and push myself to, you know, jam those pieces together. (laughs) Uh I'm not just, you know, trying to get the duct tape out and go, make it work. Uh Um, I will walk away and let my mind figure it out. Um, And, you know, at at first when I would do that, I was, I would beat myself up. I had a lot of guilt. I'm like, is this procrastination? Um, Am I not putting the time in? Am I not putting the effort in I need to? But after 40 novels, I've realized this is my process. 
Um, if it's not coming, it's not coming. Uh, I'll get up and I'll clean. I'll, maybe I will watch Netflix. Um, if I do, I tend to watch something in a genre completely opposite of what I'm writing in. Um, and maybe I'll find some inspiration from there. Um, I know when to walk away from the keyboard. Um, I don't, you know, I don't beat myself up anymore. Um, you know, and so that, that has become as much a part of my process, you know, knowing when not to write, um, as it is knowing when to write and, you know, writing full time, writing during the day when I don't have, you know, distractions of life, you know, when this, and I look at it as a job, when the words are flowing, I, you know, I can crank out 10,000 words in a day. Um, and especially, I mean, the re reality of an arc of a novel for me is, you know, first couple days, maybe 1,500, 2,000 words. Uh, next couple days, maybe I hit 3,000. Um, next few days of writing, I'm probably averaging about 5,000. Uh -huh. But then towards the end, I mean, I may have 7,500, 8,000, 10,000 word days and just crank that ending out because all the pieces are already in place. Uh -huh. Now it's just a matter of polishing it all over, get that uh -huh. story so it fits. Plus knowing I'm gonna, I have a week to go back and you know cut pieces <laughs> that aren't part of the puzzle uh -huh. uh, add, add a piece in here that you know does make it uh, fit better and just you know kind of polish it up and fix it uh -huh. um, and then boom it's it's off to the publisher uh -huh. and uh, then i let my mind usually rest a few days <laughs> and start in on the next one uh -huh. yeah I found, I found it interesting you were you talked about that on your podcast i don't know which episode but uh, kind of how you slowly kind of build yeah. the, the words it's like you're the story's kind of coming and coming and then once it kind of hits you just fly and you know get it get it done so what would you say you know when you're done like after those three weeks and you have you know a kind of blob of clay or or a, at least a, a manuscript or a draft um how, how much polishing do you have to do i mean are you doing a lot of i mean obviously typos and stuff like that but yeah, I mean, yeah. are you doing like rewrites, cutting scenes, like how, how much surgery are you having to do after those three weeks? Uh, not much. Okay. Um, let, let's, let's get all the proofreading out of there. Of course, there's going to be a ton of typos and grammatical sure. errors. And that's what editors are for. Right. <laughs> that's what people who get paid to be proofreaders are for. I'll fix what I find, of course, sure. um, you know, as I'm going along. But I'm definitely looking at story and character. Um, I'm looking at story, you know, continuity and character consistency. Um, I want to make sure, you know, this character doesn't end up sounding like another character because my, you know, I had a brain fart halfway through the novel. Um, and sometimes that happens and I will just switch the character names around um, a little bit and just kind of massage it that way. And that's how I fix it. I'm not rewriting the entire chapter. I'm not rewriting that whole part. Um, I fix it. I fix what I have in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, I never toss a draft. I'm not going to toss a chapter. Um, I may cross off, you know, a useless paragraph just because mm -hmm. I'm like, I just said that in the last chapter. This is, you know, that piece is already there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just being redundant. Um, but I don't rewrite. Um, the story that I finished and the story that's before me is the story I have. Mm -hmm. And I tweak it and fix it to make it work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, you know, when you may not have a meal planned at home and you look in the fridge and go, all right, this is what I got to work with. Well, mm -hmm. we better make this tasty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out you're like, mm -hmm. wow, you know, pasta with butter and garlic powder and Parmesan is actually tasty. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, 
it's it's um I, I don't I know a lot of writers who will go through three or four drafts. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I could. And it's funny, even I use my exact same process I do with severed press manuscripts. Uh, when I wrote the first manuscript I sent off to Bellbridge Books. Mm-hmm. And Severed Press is is very guerrilla. They're basically giving me a full proofreading, but not really any story editing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, what I hand them is really what ends up getting published. Um, Bellbridge are way more like a big traditional publisher. They're a small press, but they have a story editor, the main editor I deal with. Then they have a copy editor mm-hmm. <laughs> who then goes goes back through and is like, yeah, you, you can't change point of views mid-sentence. That doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work. Um, and then they have a, you know, a line editor that goes by line by line and is like, no, that's not where that comma goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to mean mm-hmm. the wrong thing. Um, and then they have a proofreader that goes over it and is like, typo, go away, typo, 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 mm-hmm. fix this, that kind of thing. And then it's done. So there's levels and layers. And basically went through the same process. Um, I got some you know, notes back story-wise, uh, but I didn't have to rewrite anything. I just had to tweak a few things and tighten up a few things um, and cut a couple things that were just redundant that I didn't catch before. Um, but basically my process stayed the same. Um, I did not go through a like second full draft rewrite. Um, it was basically the manuscript I handed just improved. Uh-huh. So that, that seems to work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's me. Right. right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think there's something to it. I, I, um, I don't know if you ever listened to like Dean Wesley Smith or, you know, he, he's a big proponent. Every once in a while. Yeah. 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 He's, he's just a big proponent of, I mean, he's a pulp writer and yes. um, says that when we write fast or, or just, you know, he calls it, you know, our creative voice versus our critical voice. And right. it's actually in the editing and in the rewriting that sometimes we get into that critical voice and we change the voice of the, of the book. We, yep. we want to sound like something or, you know, and, and then all of a yep. sudden the book just feels kind of this like clunky, you know, weird thing um, that we have to kind of trust that subconscious, trust that yes. you, like yourself, you've been reading stories, taking in stories for, you know, 30, 40 years, your whole life. Um, and, and it's just there. And so you're just telling a story. And so I think sometimes when we, we, we think, well, we got to write it slow and we got to, you know, take seven years and do 19 drafts. You, you're actually taking out some of that creativity and that subconscious of like, this is the story. Like when I wrote that, that's what it needed to be at that time. And then when I write another yep. one, that's what it needs to be at that time. Um, and, and, and also I think obviously you've gotten better as a storyteller and as a writer over the years. And so, Hey, those first books weren't as good as these ones because that's just where I was at the time. You know, that's who I was right. at the time. You know, and I think sometimes we we just get too hung up on, oh, this is just a crappy story. I mean, how many books have we read that we go, this is terribly written, but it's a great story? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a typo. Oh, that yeah, they shouldn't put that comma there. But like, I love the story. <laughs> you know, I can't put yeah. it down. You know. Um, well, I mean, you have to say, as as maligned as it is, the Twilight series is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hate it all you want. It's not great writing, no. but it captured millions upon millions upon millions of readers. It right. was the right story at the right time. Right. Um, and if you know she had taken you know everyone's critical advice, she probably would have killed what voice was in there mm-hmm. that actually made it the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's that's how it is. You, you have to. Writing is so much about, and success in writing is so much about timing. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is all about timing. It's not about quality. Um, mm-hmm. And it never, ever has been. 
Mm -hmm. Um, It's just about what books hit at what time. So at some point, you have to just let your ego win and be like, you know what? This is a great book. I like it. (laughs) And walk away. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you will, like you said, kill that voice Mm -hmm. uh, that's in there. And um, you may end up killing what would have been brilliant success. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, You know, it doesn't have to win a Pulitzer. Sure. Sure. (laughs) I mean, unless that is your life's goal. Right. You you need to get that out of your head. I mean, Mm -hmm. the reality of winning great acclaim in publishing is that's that's less than you know being able to make a full-time living right so (laughs) there's always going to be haters you Mm -hmm. just you know find your voice stick with it improve it but uh, don't yeah you're right don't second guess yourself um or you'll kill that spark and you may end up burning out and walking away from it um and you know then no one gets any benefit from that do do you you know you talk about the ego i think the ego is what why we you know, we think we're better than we really are. I think that's partly why we, you know, I'm going to write the next American, you know, greatest American novel. And so, you know, watch me go, but then you never finish anything. Um, Right. Exactly. And you know, you're on your 19th, you know, Hey, I'm writing this book. Yeah. Haven't you been talking about it for 10 years? When are you going to finish that thing? You know? Um, But um, I think I lost my train of thought, but the, the, Oh, I was going to say, so when you're, when you're done, like you're done here, I'm done with this story. What does it look like for you? I mean, how much do you think about past stories, past books? Um, obviously, if you're writing a series, you might have to reread one or whatever. Um, but I mean, are you able to kind of just separate yourself and say, okay, that's it. It's done. Move on to the next one. You know, don't have champagne and just kind of say, okay, let's, I mean, what, what's kind of the mind, the mindset for you? Yeah. Um, I'm actually pretty good. I don't want to say I'm perfect at it, but I'm mm-hmm. pretty good at going, well, that's over and done with, and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I produce my own audiobooks, mm-hmm. um, or at least I, you know, I contract narrator producers to produce it and do royalty split through ACX. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to proof the final product. I have to listen to eight hours of my novel right. um, and you know, make sure there isn't a stray, you know, burp or you know, edit click or something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just do that that last little quality control. And so I hear what I've written and there are times where I'm like, wow, I should have read that out loud because that sounds silly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you hear someone reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, yep. ouch. Um, <laughs> and, you know, my first novel, I started off podcasting, so I know better. I know I should read it out loud, sure. but sometimes time doesn't allow and that's just how it is. And um, but I don't get hung up on it. Um, and it's funny, I, I grew up in Oregon and mm-hmm. I, I attribute my skill of letting things go to being a long time University of Oregon Ducks fan mm-hmm. where people now are like, what? That big powerhouse. Right. It's like, that, that didn't used to be a powerhouse football team. <laughs> that right, used to right. be the losingest team in the past oh, yeah. 10. Yeah. It's like, and they're called the Ducks. So you're just going to get made fun of no matter what. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, you develop a, a thick skin over just certain things in life and Mm -hmm. i have learned to apply that to that book's done and published move on you know Mm -hmm. if you want to fix that don't make the same mistake in another book Mm -hmm. um and that's how i apply it you know learn a lesson move on Mm -hmm. um don't make the same mistake again sometimes i listen sometimes i do make the same mistake again Mm -hmm. it it happens we're all human that's how how it is um but you know, if, if, if I, you know, I don't beat myself up over mistakes that I find, you know, a year later, because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do about it. 
Sure. That's a good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's that polishing, you know, that we write that one book and then we yeah. market it and we talk about it and then we, you know, but you haven't written anything else, you know, for five years. It's it's just saying, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's and I could see, you know, if, if someone is, you know, fretting over the same manuscript for five years, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I can totally see how they could get into that loop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I write a novel a month. I've got to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't. <laughs> get stuck in something and it is that ego of you know what i can write a better story because uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> i think that's you know one reason some writers become writers it's definitely one reason i became a writer was that you know reading something going i can do better than this uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> and so you know i'll hear my own stuff and be like i can do better than that uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so i'm going to <laughs> yeah. that was a really dumb chapter never do that again <laughs> right no, and I, I really appreciate your honesty. I, you know, in your podcast too, you talk about that a lot. Just saying, hey, yeah, I have some good books, and there's some that are just, you know, they're okay. Um, you know, yeah. they're not drabble, but they're, you know, the, yeah. there's just things I could have done better. And and I think that's, you know, you're talking about early on. We at the beginning talked about practice, and it's funny how, you know, we don't think of writing as practice. Like every novel is another opportunity to practice. It's to right try different things, maybe use more exposition, maybe use more dialogue, maybe, you know, try first person or third person or, you know, whatever. Um, It's just another opportunity to practice, you know, and and I think it's it's funny, like, we forget that we we forget that the next one's just another opportunity. It's it's not the end all. It's just, you know, I I love what Dean Wesley Smith says. He says, it's just words. He's like, just, yeah, just write more of them. Like, exactly. You you delete some, you write more. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, cancer. It's not, we're not putting someone on the moon. It's like, it's a story. So just write more of them, you know? Totally. Um, what, you know, one of the, the, best lessons you know i've heard uh, one of my co-hosts for the writer's coffee house here in town uh, beth revis she wrote 10 novels before she wrote across the universe um all of those 10 novels got rejected by every agent that she put them in front of and then she wrote across the universe it was accepted it hit the right timing and became a new york times bestseller mm-hmm. um you know she had 10 novels failed novels mm-hmm. under her belt uh-huh. before she hit the stride and hit sure. the one that, you know, succeeded. Um, and now she's, you know, five novels of success in, um, you know, that, th- that practice helps. You're not uh-huh. going to hit it out of the park on the very first try. Uh-huh. Um, the reality of that is, is pretty slim. Um, and the other, you know, and I think that also is a great lesson of writers, especially beginning writers need to stop holding themselves up to other writers' standards. Uh-huh. You, can, you can never be another writer. You can only be you. Right. You can only be you, and you uh-huh. will only have your experiences, and you will only write your novels. Uh-huh. Um, so stop trying to measure success by others' success. Right. Right. Um, because the vast majority of writers you ask, they're going to go, it, it, it was the right time. there's there's no secret there's no you know they they had the right experience they may have been practicing but it's one of those things that when opportunity knocked they were ready for it Uh but they put in the time but it wasn't they'd have no secret to be able to say how opportunity knocked Uh (laughs) it just knocked and they opened the door and stepped through and voila there we go Um, so you just, you know, just prepare yourself as much as you can, Mm -hmm. um, because your experience is going to be totally different than anybody else's, you know, any other writer's experience. Um, Yeah. 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 Yeah, You know, it's that Stephen King story, you know, he 
his carry novel, you know, threw it in the trash. His wife picks it out of yeah. the trash and gets yep. this half a million dollar advance, you know, and, and exactly. he, he was just a school teacher just making no money. And, yeah. you know, but I think there, there's something about him and there's, you know, yourself it's, but the difference is they're in the game, you know, they're, they keep producing, yeah. they keep writing, you know, even when things aren't hitting maybe as much as, as fast as they want it to, but they're, they're, they, they're in the game. So that when the opportunity does come, you know, it's, what's interesting though, I think the people that write, the most and the, and the, are disciplined and work the hardest actually seem to be the luckiest. You know, it's because they don't just write those, Oh, well that one book did okay. Or that two. And then I'm done. It's, it's like, no, I'm just going to co- continue to strive and grow and produce and, and yeah. see, see what happens, you know? Exactly. And I mean, you know, it's, it's the classic story of, you know, say like Michael Jordan being cut from his high school basketball team, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, but he didn't quit. The mm-hmm. only way you lose in this business is by quitting. Yep. Um, if you keep pushing forward and if you remind yourself that this is a business and this is a job also, this is work, um, this isn't some flight of fancy, you know, uh, way to win the lottery without having to, you know, <laughs> pick numbers. That's, you know, as long as you look at it realistically that this, this takes work, this is a job, things don't always hit, there's going to be ups and downs, and you keep pushing forward then all that overnight success that the media loves to apply to (laughs) authors that have all of a sudden shown up on the bestseller list, but who've been working at it for a decade, Mm -hmm. then, you know, all of that hard work pays off. You you know, Mm -hmm. literally the only way you lose is, is by quitting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just keep pushing forward because, you know, then you'll have the experience when that opportunity does happen. Well, you stole my question. My question was, well, what advice would you give an aspiring writer? And I think that's that's kind of sums it up is don't quit. And it, it is don't quit. And one thing, and it's, it's something that very almost no other writers say. They'll say that don't quit and say stuff like that. But I also say be prepared for success. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of writers and a lot of artists are not. And there's a billion tv specials about what goes wrong afterwards Uh um have an idea dream dream big and you know and think of those dreams okay so what if your book hits what if you end up on the new york times bestseller Uh are you psychologically and emotionally ready for that Uh um start getting ready because there's going to be a lot of attention there's going to be a lot of things Uh i haven't hit any bestseller lists but I have success as, you know, a full-time writer. Sure. Um, and I've had ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And if I didn't have a realistic look at it, I probably would have seen that success as, oh, yeah, I've made it, I've made it, I've made it. Um, but I, I, I planned, I had that success, and I'm like, hmm, I'm going to need to get re- ready for the failure because it's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, you sock some money away, you get yourself ready to write something else. You start, you know, you make sure you're paying attention to the markets to see, you know, what's hitting, what's not those kinds of things. And then when I did hit a Valley, which will happen um, and some books didn't sell very well, I had something to build on. I was like, well, I got this idea let's build on that. Let's go with that. Um, so, you know, I, I knew with success, there was going to become, you know, there's going to be that chance of failure too. Um, and I think too many people don't think past getting that book published. Um, they, they see that as the end goal and really the work begins after you're published. Right. Wait, you don't just publish and then just sit drive around your Cadillac and your mansion and 
Exactly. <laughs> As the money just rolls in. Yep. Uh, you know, you actually, I, I don't, you, you might know offhand your the episode. You actually talk about that in your podcast about being prepared for success. I love that episode. Yeah. Um, and it's true. It's, it's actually a funny thing that I think in, it can apply to so many areas of life and work and yeah. is we don't ever think about, well, what if it actually works? <laughs> you know, what if it, <laughs> what if the thing we're making actually people like it and buy it, you know, what are we going to do? Well, yeah, it's, it's the classic story in life, you know, applied to whatever of self-sabotage where everybody get, you get what you've been dreaming for mm-hmm. and then what? Right. Well, I'm just going to tear it all down. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, no, don't, don't do that. You know, build on it, but you, you got to be prepared for that success because that success is going to be hard work too. Yep. Um, so, you know, get ready. <laughs> great advice. Great advice. So tell us, uh, just as we wrap things up, uh, what are you working on? What do you got coming out? What do you, you know, as you call on your website, uh, what do you need to pimp right now? Um, <laughs> um, right now that is out is Roke Galactic Bounty Hunter. Um, and it's, it's, it takes place in the same universe as my Salvage Merc 1 series and uh, Drop Team Zero. Um, so I've kind of built a, a space opera universe galaxy with different races and all kinds of aliens and, and terminology. And I'm just using that as a template for other mm-hmm. things. So Roke is out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just turned in Outpost Hell, which is space Marines in trouble, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. And, um, that's going to be in that same universe too, but um, they're not connected books. I'm just sort of kind of building on my own space mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, and geez, what's, what's coming up next? Up next is going to be writing a novel, another novel for Bellbridge books. I'm doing urban fantasy, which is new. Um, I haven't done that before. Um, and oh, pre-order for a contemporary fantasy. I just wrote for them um, is going to start uh, next week. And that's stone cold bastards. Uh, basically, it's a demon apocalypse. Uh, demons have taken over humanity, and the only saviors left are um, gargoyles that have come alive to protect the last few humans left on Earth. Um, so it's a heck of a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, all, all, all the info can be found at jakebible.com. So that's, that's the easy place to go and find out what's going on. Cool. Definitely put yeah. that in the show notes. I know I got all that. And, uh, cool. Now, did you talk? Were you saying you're working on like a. Uh, police crime book at some point or that was just an idea yeah it's it, it was an idea and you know at some point i'm mm-hmm. going to get into that right now i'm kind of applying what i've learned from reading crime uh into sci-fi okay um so i've you know been applying some of that into there i think when i do you know when i start my urban fantasy a lot of those kind of tropes are going to go in there because really that's what urban fantasy is is mm-hmm. uh your classic crime mystery suspense thrillers but just add a supernatural paranormal element to mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll be, I'll be applying some stuff to that. Um, at some point I want to write some straight crime. Um, I want to write some, you know, straight up uh, thriller kind of stuff with no supernatural, no space, no mm-hmm. horror, no, none of that. But getting to that point is going to be a little bit because right now the other genres pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and that's just the reality. So. Sure. And, like, and Severed's not – they don't really do crime stuff, right? No, they, yeah. they don't. And it's one reason I signed with Bellbridge to do contemporary fantasy and to do urban fantasy is because Severed doesn't do urban fantasy. Okay. Uh, they don't do those kinds of ideas. They're, they're sci-fi, military sci-fi, post-apocalyptic, dystopian, um, horror – 
um, you know, zombie apocalypse, stuff like that. They know their genres and they know their markets. Sure. Um, and that's why I've had success is because they're a small press that understands what they do <laughs> and they put their energy into that. Um, they don't experiment too much. Okay. Um, just because they, you know, if they don't know how to market it, then they're not going to take the idea. Sure. Um, they're not going to waste everybody's time. Um, so yeah, so yeah, if I eventually do crime, I'll end up having to go with a, a publisher that knows crime. Sure. Um, and that's the smart way to go. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. And check out, uh, check out Jake's, uh, podcast too. Writing in suburbia. Great podcast. If you're a writer or want to be a writer or, um, hobbyist, not apply as he says. Um, but, uh, but you're all welcome too. So, um, but no, great stuff. Hey, Jake, this has been a real, um, real honor. You gave us some ton of good stuff to think about. Um, keep on keeping on, man. I know you're going to keep writing great books. Check out all his works. There's so many of them. You'll have plenty of, uh, probably can't get through them in a lifetime, probably the next, you know, <laughs> but, uh, no, that, uh, what's the latest one called again? Uh, the, the one that's out now is Roke. That's and right. It's, you know, R O A K, you know, rhymes with Oak tree Roke. Yeah. Um, and that's on Amazon right as we speak. Yeah. I, I, I saw that one. It's getting good, great reviews. I actually read a little of the blur. I'll probably get that one too. So, Oh, cool. Wonderful. <laughs> well, Hey, um, uh, Jake Bible, Jake is it Jake Bible fiction.com. No, it's jakebible.com. Okay, yeah, perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, Jake, thanks for the time, and uh, yeah, hope to talk to you soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world and head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.